This is the ARC Energy Ideas Podcast with Peter Terzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the ARC Energy Ideas Podcast. I am Jackie Forrest. And I'm Peter Terzakian. All right, today we're going to talk about green, including the Green New Deal in the United States. There's been lots of debate on an idea that has been put out around greening the energy system in the U.S. much quicker pace than what's been yep, done so yep. far. And that's going to lead us into a discussion about where clean tech is going and actually defining what is clean tech, what does that mean, and where the money is going and uh, what to expect going forward. Okay, so let's get going. So what is the Green New Deal? Well, the U.S. Democrats, led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Ed Markey, and and actually Alexandria is a senator as well, have been leading the charge for a big push to deal with climate change. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, we're going to call her AOC from now on. I think that's uh, that's the... (laughs) A moniker that's given to her, yes. Yeah, a little bit easier to say as mm-hmm. well. So we'll call her AOC from now. She's a new senator that just started in January. She's only 29 years old, and she is hitting the ground running and working yeah. on a number of bills. But this is the one that's definitely getting the most focus. And then Ed Markey, I think, well-known in U.S. politics. He's on the other side of his career. He's been around for something like 40 years in Congress. And he was known for the well-known Waxman-Markey bill in 2009 that proposed that the U.S. government would put a cap-and-trade program for carbon emissions in place, and that was unsuccessful. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the impetus for all this is uh, and and trailblazing on even more climate change-related policy. There's the wildfires, the polar vortex, and all the climate impacts that people are feeling and the younger generation as represented by Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez coming forward and saying, okay, we got to do something fast. We've got to do something faster than the time frame that is being set out even by the UN documents. And the thing is, it's a, this non-binding resolution that they're trying to pass uh, suggests that within 10 years, that's not very far away, like I say by 2030, that the United States electricity production is going to be all non-renewable, no fossil fuels. Well, you know, there's some debate around that because they say clean mm-hmm. and non-emitting. So it maybe could include natural gas with carbon capture and storage, but there certainly won't be any emitting of carbon associated with yeah, the energy system. Yeah, that may be, but the, but the implication is there that this is sort of like we're going to push as hard as we can and fossil fuels effectively have no room in the electrical power generation energy mix. Further to that, we've got to get on the bandwagon even more with energy efficiency, which is virtuous. Mm-hmm. We've got to move towards electric cars and charging stations and so on. Yeah, so, and it's industrial use. Right. I, I will say, you know, the timing is not a coincidence. It's really, they're referencing, in fact, the blueprint that they put out a couple weeks ago talks about the IPC report that was mm-hmm. released in October, you know, that basically says we need to drop all of our emissions by 40 to 60% by 2030 to stay within that 1.5 degrees or the consequences of climate change will be much more severe. So that's actually the opening sentence of this blueprint is we yeah. need to meet that goal. Yeah, and, and it's also a sort of very much a st- stimulus-type package where it involves a lot of public funding to really push this initiative forward. It also includes other, I would call them in the broad category, wellness-type initiatives, healthcare, quality of life, uh, and leading in many ways, uh, when I read it and, and listened to it, it's leading much more to a Scandinavian-type model uh, moving the United States into, in, into that realm. Now, there's a lot of skepticism, certainly, whether or not this is realistic actually whether or not even this resolution will pass. But that's not the point. I think that the point is that there is 
a renewed momentum behind this, led by millennials, and certainly can't ignore the movement because the movement has impacts. And we've written about this many times, even though if it doesn't substitute out in 10 years, the perception that it might has an impact on the way policy, the way business dynamics proceed within the oil, gas, renewables space going forward. Right. And because of this democratic race that's going on and the fact we're leading up to an election, she has a lot of support of some of the nominees that would like to be president. So six of them have supported it already, and there's going to be pressure on others to do that. So the question will be, although this is a long way off from being a bill that Congress would consider, um, in fact, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has said this is just a suggestion. But the fact that so many Democratic nominees are behind it means potentially this is going to be at the forefront of the debate around the nominees for the next election constantly uh, being talked about. Well, we'll see where it goes. I mean, even if it catalyzes more spending, if you go back to about, uh, I don't know, I think it was around 2010 when Obama committed $90 billion, I think it was, in the wake of the financial crisis to renewable energy type projects. What that really did was catalyze a lot of learning curve effects. You know, that kind of money that was put in to the United States, China put similar amounts of money as a stimulus response to the financial crisis. And those learning curve effects drove down the cost of renewables, renewables plus batteries, such that they're highly competitive with the current electrical grid systems. That's right. If we didn't have that, that yeah. big amount of investment, right. we probably wouldn't be where we are today in right. terms of so, scale and right. costs. It's a very important initiative, even if it doesn't pass, because what we're also seeing is even the private sector sort of getting on this spending initiative, whether it's the, the big companies like the Googles and Apples and others. And what it is doing is it is driving a learning curve effect, which is going to make the energy complex of all energy systems, oil, gas, renewables, coal, et cetera, much more competitive going forward. Well, and create more market share, right? Sure. More yeah. companies that are willing yeah. to buy products. Many of these things that people are buying, whether it be companies, individuals, or government policies, we put under a big banner called clean tech. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there is a view out there that clean tech is set to take off a little bit more than it has been in the past. And policies like what the U.S. is talking about, of course, would be very supportive. But even without that, as you say, companies are starting to invest more in this space as well. So I think we should just talk a little bit about clean tech, what it is and what's included and what's not, because there's definitely debate on that topic. Yeah, that's really uh, important. You know, Jackie, I've been in and around what's called clean tech for over 20 years. And in the mid to late 1990s, there was a lot of momentum behind, back then we didn't call it clean tech, we called it alternative energy, fuel cells, supercapacitors, you name it, wind, solar. And, you know, by 2002, it sort of petered out because it didn't really have that cost competitiveness that it does today. But when we think about clean tech, that term clean tech germinated in the very late 90s and then morphed and got more and more momentum. And if you actually look at Wikipedia, the evolution of the term clean tech and the definition of it is actually, it's worth revisiting in terms of uh, what it says. Right. Well, I'll read it, actually. Okay. All right. Clean tech is generally defined as knowledge-based products or services that improve operational performance, productivity, or efficiency while reducing costs, inputs, energy consumption, waste, or pollution. Yeah. And I mean, because every single industry in the world and every single consumer in the world uses energy, it's a very broad-based definition. Most people, when you say clean tech, you think, okay, wind and solar pushing out oil, gas, and coal. 
clean tech is also applied to agriculture to make it more efficient because, of course, agriculture uses energy to make food or any mm. other manufacturing. So it's a very broad-based definition of this clean tech. Well, would you say it applies to oil and gas then? Well, I think it does. Uh, and even in the definition, it does, improving the productive and responsible use of natural resources. It's in the definition. But I say the definition in people's minds is that clean tech is zero emissions, zero fossil fuels. But that dynamic is actually changing where there is a new crop of businesses that are emerging that are working to clean up the fossil fuel and natural resources business. Right. So anything that would reduce the methane emissions associated with oil and gas production or the energy use should fall under this definition. Reducing the waste, increasing the efficiency, lowering the energy consumption, all things the same. Now, of course, Bloomberg New Energy Finance puts out an annual report on clean tech spending. I went to look at this because they just had that out. About $300 was spent in this space Mm -hmm. in 2018. Uh, actually down a little bit from the previous year, mostly because of solar. But the things I wanted to highlight is that they're basically just tracking a very narrow definition. It's basically solar, wind, renewable energy, some energy smart technologies, biofuels, biomass, and nothing associated with the investments being made in oil and gas. And it just got me thinking, like, be interesting to see what the magnitude at, at this point of the oil and gas side of this is. And, and I think that's actually set for real growth as well. It is set for real growth. And we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. I want to put that $300 billion you just mentioned that was spent globally, basically on solar, wind, and renewable type energy. Yeah, that's where the vast majority that, that, of it that's was. That's where the, yeah. the vast majority of it was. It is down a little bit. But the more interesting thing is, is that that spending on an annual basis has been pretty steady for about 10 years. It's been it, There was a rapid ramp up, which we'll talk about here in a minute, between 2000 and 2010. And the last 10 years have been pretty steady at $300 billion. But, you know, it, it's a bit deceiving to say, oh, it's not growing because the cost of deploying solar, wind, and renewables has come down so much. So $300 billion today versus spending $300 billion even five years ago, the dollar goes a lot further. Great point. And and that was one of the points they made. The reason they had a decline year on year in 2018 was due to the fact that solar panels cost less. They fell 12% as yeah, manufacturers slash prices. And China had a policy change that actually reduced some of the mm-hmm. sales in the countries. So yeah, you've got that dynamic where we're doing more with the same dollars. Right. It's, so it's, it's, still I mean, it's a very exciting space. I mean, th- there's no denying that it's growing exponentially, the solar and wind coming into the market and diversifying into the market to create greener, cleaner energy mix overall. Right. And you come back to that definition thing. How much would it be if we looked at what was going on in the oil and gas sector today? Right. I do think it's quite relevant. You know, 80% of our energy is still from fossil fuels. And so if they're spending on some of this, it could be quite large. I haven't seen a report well, that actually tries to quantify that. Well, well let me, let, I'll, I'll just put some numbers to what the fossil fuel, well, let, let's Leave coal out of it because I don't really know that much about what the coal guys spend. But the oil and gas industry at the peak before the price crash, 2014, probably spent $750 billion globally. Okay. And that 750 was on upstream exploration development, bringing to market facilities, the whole bit, right? $750 billion. After the price of oil fell, the price of natural gas started falling. The annual spending now, I think, is probably about half that, 350, 400. And people point to that and say, well, they're spending half, therefore we're not able to bring as much oil to market. But as you know, the amount of oil coming to market is more than it was back in 2014 in places like the Permian and now offshore and so on. So even in the oil and gas business, a dollar spent today goes much further than a dollar spent yesterday. 
All right, well, let's think about uh, those dollars, so $300 billion. When you put it in context of what yeah. the oil and gas industry is spending on yeah. clean tech, that's a big number here because they're $300 yeah. billion. Yeah, yeah. But I, can I, it's really important to put something into context because the, the renewable energy, I'll call it faction, will say, look, we spent $300 billion. It's almost as much as, say, the, the oil and gas business. True. Okay. But both energy systems have drastically improved their efficiencies and their costs. So actually, the amount of energy as measured in joules that is being brought to market from both factions is not really proportional to the amount of dollars spent. It's still growing. Still growing, yeah. very, very, I mean, on both sides. Well, and growth is good. You always want to invest in areas where you have growth. Mm-hmm. But merely investing in growth, merely investing in, say, from a dollars and cents perspective, say, lower, lower cost producer is not good enough today. As we know, today, you have to bring a better product to market, not just a lower cost product to market. And a better product in today's world and in the 2020s is a lower carbon intensity or zero carbon intensity product. And that's where the competitive game is going to be played. Yeah, whether you're in oil gas or renewables, Absolutely. you've got to have low cost, low carbon. And for oil, of course, and gas, we're going to have carbon, but those products with the lowest footprint right. are going to right. do better in right. the future. Right. I think it's really important to understand, I mean, there's a huge debate out there about, you know, we've got to, and, and it's mentioned in the Green New Deal, like we've got to really bring down our oil demand as fast as possible, say by some 20% in a very short period of time, which is very difficult to do. But the question is not how much oil, whether it's the United States, Canada, or the world, is going to consume and produce. The real question is who is going to supply that oil in a increasingly responsible, lower carbon manner. And, and I think that what's happening now with the multinationals and other independents in the free market is that they are now starting to spend more and more on understanding that they have to be part of the climate change solution by reducing the carbon intensity of the upstream product. Right, and even in the case of Shell, making commitments to reduce on right. the downstream side as well. Right. Well, let's talk about that because that's a real change, you know, in the market. There may be more buyers for these technologies, not only because of government policy, but because of more interest from mm-hmm. corporations. But in the past, if we think about these green tech companies, whether it be solar or others, they really haven't performed very well. And that's because maybe what we just talked about, if you, you know, the fact that the margin's being kind of pushed out of the business by the fact it's so competitive. It's becoming so competitive, the margins are becoming thinner and thinner in every single energy system, whether it's wind, solar, oil, gas. I mean, you know, the costs are coming down, which is great from a consumer perspective because it's all lower price, but from a producer perspective of solar panel turbines or oil and gas, the margins are compressed and the investors say, well, why would I put money in you? Uh, You're not making any money. Right, and that's important. If we want all these solutions and we have to Mm -hmm. reduce our GHG emissions, we do need investors to invest in these technologies. And there is a perception, if you talk to an investor, is clean tech a good place to invest? There may be a historical perception there that it has not been. I'm going to reference a paper that was published in July of 2016 by MIT talking about how venture capital lost a lot of money in the clean tech space between 2006 and 2011. They said that venture capital firms spent over $25 billion funding clean energy technology and lost over half their money. Yeah. And in some cases, some funds that raised those money lost 90% of their money. I mean, the track record of investing in 
the, the clean energy space over the course of the last even 20 years is really not very good. And so investors look at that and say, well, you've never made any money. Uh, but I would argue that the time is ripe and what we're seeing is happening because we have gone down those learning curve effects. And those that put all that money in that MIT talks about, they effectively have funded the learning curve. They funded a learning curve today such that now the economics of these technologies are much more compelling than they have been in the last 20 years. Right. And not, not only them, but also you said there was a lot of government support in that kind of right. early, you know, around the time of the financial sure. crisis. And a lot of that money went to R&D that is now sure. kind of more mature and ready to provide some solutions. Well, if it's any sign that it's a good time to invest, you know, Warren Buffett has made some big investments in clean tech. Now, most of his investments have been renewable energy, but he's done something like $15 billion in clean tech. And in June of twenty. 18, he committed to another $15 billion in this space. Yeah, so that's huge. a sign well, it that, is. that it's going mainstream. It's going mainstream, <laughs> and it affects every industry. I mean, it's not just renewables. It's agriculture, as we mentioned before, greening the whole food production process, uh, manufacturing. It's really everywhere that the clean tech is happening. And so as industries innovate, they use technology to drive down costs. They use technologies to improve their environmental footprint, I'll call it, in terms of emissions and water use and all that sort of stuff, that creates more and more competition. And companies that don't get on that better product at lower cost bandwagon are going to be the ones that can't keep up in the 2020s. So when we think about the definition of what you invest in in clean tech, another area that's exploding right now is just this whole digital technology and understanding data and mm -hmm. you know understanding historical data, Internet of Things, we'll keep up with the buzzwords. Do you consider some of those technologies to be clean tech or do you just consider that to be uh, digital? Well, I, I do in, in the sense of maybe one degree of separation in the sense that data science, digital technologies, all the buzzwords you talked about, I mean, they, they have a tendency to drive down costs and reduce risks. But in most industries in the world, and certainly even in oil and gas, the biggest input to the business is energy. And so if you reduce your cost, de facto, you are reducing your energy input, most of which, as you said, 80% is fossil fuels. So there is a very strong indirect correlation between making a more efficient business and decarbonizing. Right. Yeah. If you can get this more output for the same input, then that's that it. falls that's under the definition. Yeah. I also think that if we can make smarter decisions in terms of, like you say, the energy use that we have, like a lot of digital technology on these microgrids and managing the electrical grid more efficiently because of digital technology that can have a huge impact on the greenhouse gas emissions. Right. And I think that, you know, coming full circle back to the Green New Deal as put forth, yes, it is interesting that the government of the United States and other governments around the world may put more money into this thing. But ultimately, the greatest innovations and the rapidity of which those innovations have been adopted has been driven by the free market. And what is happening now with the introduction of new technologies like Internet of Things, connectivity, data science, as I said, you know, the buzzword artificial intelligence, is that there's an impetus to adopt those in every single industry. And the efficiency gains that are realized by that and those technologies that are specifically targeting, especially environmental type efficiency gains, uh, are really going to drive the change. So independent of whether or not the government funds this stuff. Right. Although it does help with that digital technology that there's a payback, right? Well, that, well that's yeah. it. That, that's the free market incentive. The mm -hmm. payback is going to drive the efficiency, will drive the use of less energy input and uh, decarbonization. And it's happening. I think it's worth noting. I mean, it's, it's, 
I sense in the last four to six months, it's really starting to happen in the oil and gas business. Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, it's starting to happen. You're seeing change. Uh, just recently in Calgary, there was a conference called the Propel Conference. Propel is an energy technology conference showcasing a lot of exciting entrepreneurial companies. And, and you know, the interesting thing is, is that the audience contained certainly more investors than I've seen before in terms of putting money into the space. And the anecdotal evidence in talking to people and what I'm seeing in terms of companies that are raising money is that there is a growing tide of money starting to come into the space, not only here in the United States, into the space of making the oil and gas industry far more efficient going forward. Right. And the first panel actually kicked off with a whole bunch of investors. I was interested in that. It was quite a large panel. It is. And there's a general broad sense of uh, excitement and enthusiasm that, uh, you know, this is one of the biggest industries in the world. It represents globally, I don't know, whatever it is, six or seven percent of GDP. It's not going away as fast as the 10 years as is outlined in the in the Green New Deal. It's going to be around for a while. And I say it's a question is, who is going to supply the oil? It's not how much oil is going to be supplied. And the companies that are part of this, the investors that are part of this, are pushing that the suppliers of tomorrow are the most efficient suppliers driven by these technology companies that either directly clean up the emissions or indirectly through more efficient processes in data science. Right, and it wasn't just a bunch of companies pitching their their products. There was a lot of uh, presentations done by actual oil and gas companies here that are implementing this stuff. So it's yeah. not theoretical that uh, customers may buy this stuff. It seems like they are buying it. We're starting to see those early success stories that are very, very important to get m- more widespread adoption. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very interesting, exciting time in terms of disruption, right? Effectively, you have uh, an industry that is necessarily the oil and gas industry being forced into improving its product. And this said the Green New Deal may be aspirational, but what it does do is it instills in the minds of the public and investors that they need to be backing the companies that are making a difference in terms of reducing emissions. And the energy technologies, as I said, that data science, these are the companies that are doing it going forward. There's more money, I think, that's going to come into this space. Actually, for the next couple of years, I think you're going to see it just go up exponentially. To me, the only question that's out there is, you know, we come back to it, we talked about it earlier, is greening oil and gas clean tech. You know, I, I, I believe it is necessarily, again, it's like, it's not how much are we going to consume, it's who's going to supply it. And I would hope it's the greenest, cleanest suppliers out there that are working toward that goal. You know, in the definition of this Green New Deal and the sort of more hawkish uh, environmental side, that doesn't really fall under the definition. So, you know, it <laughs> makes for spirited debate. But uh, ultimately, what's really interesting to, to us is actually the free market is starting to respond to this. And, and that is, uh, is responding to the public narratives. It's responding to the technology. And it's, uh, in many ways, a very exciting time going forward. Good. Well, I think we're going to cover this topic more in the future and hopefully cover some of those companies, even some of the local companies. There's lots of exciting things going on in this space. Thank you for joining our podcast again. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening, please tell someone else about us and uh, like us on iTunes or whatever podcast app that you subscribe to. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com. <laughs>